Well, last week, we started a new annual theme called Finding Life in Jesus' Name. And as I said last week, normally, with our annual themes in our preaching ministry, we would have a selection of sermon series throughout the year, usually from the Old and New Testament, from the whole Bible. Uh, But this year, we're doing something a little different. And for almost the whole year, we're going to go slowly, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, through the gospel according to John. And last week, we kicked off this series and this annual theme by working through the prologue of John's gospel, the introduction. And we met the apostle John, uh, the author, who was an ambitious and hot-tempered young man, uh, one of the sons of thunder. That's not a motorcycle gang. That was actually a nickname Jesus gave to John, our brother. But John found a new life with Jesus, and eventually, by the end of his life, he was changed so much, he became known as the apostle of love. And we said that reading through John is like walking through an art gallery. John has curated many different artistic images and portraits under one common theme, and the theme is all about who Jesus is and what God has done and is doing through him and the reality of the new life, the, the real life, the eternal life, a life to the full that is possible when we believe. If you missed our introduction last week, as uh, some of you perhaps did because it was the weekend of the 4th of July, okay, uh, that's okay. Uh, you can always go back and watch it online or you can listen to the audio podcast if you'd like. But today, we'll meet another man named John. Not the apostle, but the baptizer. And this John, John the Baptist, as he's known, had the special God-given task, mission, purpose to prepare the way for the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. And John the Baptist's ministry is fitting for us even to this day, as we'll see. Because before we get to Jesus, we must be prepared to see him. We must first understand that God had promised that Jesus would come. And second, we must understand and have a realistic view of our own sin and struggle that we need help. We need a savior. Third and finally, as John encourages us to do, we must behold Jesus. We must really look at him and listen to him. We must carefully, thoughtfully consider his words and deeds and meditate on what all of this says about who he truly is. Because if we do this, if we, even today, prepare ourselves and walk through this gallery that John has prepared for us, we too can find this life to the full that God created for us to live. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to John chapter one, starting with verse 19. If you wanna put a bookmark in the book of John, we're gonna stay there for a while. So let's just jump in with verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, 
then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Okay, let's pause here. So, so again, the John in this passage is not the author, but is the baptizer who had a very popular ministry uh, early in the first century AD. Uh, and John is awesome. John was a wild man. He would be a friend your parents would be nervous for you to have. He lived and ministered in the wilderness to the east of the Jordan River. And according to Mark, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts, that is bugs, and wild honey. Now that is normal food for the desert or the wilderness area, okay? But still, right? Okay, who is this guy? Well, John was... Uh, according to uh, Mark and Matthew, he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But the result of this uh, ministry was that the whole Judean countryside, countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. They were confessing their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, if we take a look at a map, we can see uh, the, where the city of Jerusalem was in the south. In the re Jerusalem, the city was in the region of Judea. And then to the east, we have the Jordan River, which connects the Sea of Galilee in the north to the Dead Sea in the south. And so somewhere to the east of the Jordan River is known as the wilderness beyond the Jordan. Uh, we'll encounter some of the other cities in, on this map in the weeks ahead as we work through John's Gospel. But so many people according to John and Mark and Matthew, were going, and Luke, okay, this is in all four Gospels. So many people were going out to hear John the Baptist and be baptized by him that the religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem sent out a delegation to investigate this influential man. They asked him if he was the anointed one sent by God. In, in, Hebrew, in Hebrew, that is, the title is Messiah. In the Greek, the title would be the Christ. But John did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. So they asked John, point blank, are you the Messiah? And he says, no. Now the Jews at the time had several other figures from their scriptures, from the Hebrew Bible, that they were expecting God to send, including a prophet or the prophet, excuse me, a prophet in the spirit of Elijah, that's from Malachi chapter four, and the prophet um, in the spirit of Moses from Deuteronomy 18. They had several passages in their scriptures that, that alluded to uh, this powerful leader that God would send into the world. And these aren't bad questions. These are Bible questions. John, are you the one that God promised to send. Now the priests and the Levites were of the family lines that God had chosen to lead ancient Israel in worship. 
they were responsible for preaching and teaching God's word, uh, primarily at the temple in Jerusalem. And they had found in the scriptures promises of God that he would send one, perhaps this, a prophet or the prophet to them. And in John's ministry, they clearly saw the hand of God at work. So they were trying to figure out who John was and what God was doing in their day. But John denied these questions. Finally, they said, well, who are you? We need an answer. We got to go back and report to our bosses who you are. What do you say about yourself? Can you detect a little frustration here? Well, I think that's warranted. They seem to, or at least John portrays these leaders as being a little more concerned about their task than really what God was actually doing in the ministry of John. But John answer the, answers them. He gives them a very interesting answer, quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. And I'd like to read to you the longer quote in context. So just listen to five. A voice calling of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So John is saying that he is the voice in the wilderness, and it was his mission to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, which means that the glory of the Lord was about to be revealed. So God was doing something big, something that he had promised through his prophet Isaiah some 700 years before the time of John. And John was saying he believed this is going to be revealed in our day. Can you imagine what people must have thought when they saw this wild man out in the wilderness and heard what he had to say? There must have been a spirit of excitement and wonder. Could this be? Well, let's continue with verse 24. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Okay, we'll pause here once again. So the Apostle John, the author, introduces one of the, the themes of his gospel, a theme of opposition. And this runs throughout. Uh, it's an opposition that centers around a question of authority. What gives you the right to do what you're doing? Now the Pharisees were a conservative religious group of leaders in their day. They would have been widely respected in their culture. The Apostle Paul was trained as a Pharisee. We just finished a series on his life. In fact, I believe, if I have the timeline right, he probably was an apprentice under the Rabbi Gamaliel in Jerusalem at this time. Was Paul one of the Pharisees sent to question John? We don't know. 
Now, it isn't clear if the Pharisees were a separate group from the priests and the Levites or if they all came together, you know, they, they shared an Uber or something. But either way, we don't know. It doesn't really matter. The Pharisees questioned John the Baptist too. John was under great scrutiny here. And the Pharisees say that if John isn't one of these promised figures, if he's not the Messiah, if he's not the prophet like Elijah or the prophet from Deuteronomy 18, who or what gives him the authority to be preaching and baptizing in this way? Well, the implication is he didn't get it from them. It's a cultural social, and perhaps even political threat to the leadership in Jerusalem. And John's answer probably didn't calm their fears. John basically says, you're worried about me? I'm nobody. I only baptize people with water. But among you stands one, and you don't even know him. He's not a priest or a Levite or a Pharisee. And I'm not even worthy to be his servant, even to untie his sandals. And we will see that he baptizes, not just with water, but with the spirit of the living God. Now, if you were there watching this unfold, what would you be thinking? You'd probably be thinking, what in the world is going to happen next? Who is this man who is coming? It must be someone from God or, I mean, could it be God himself? John saw himself as preparing the way for the Lord and the glory of the Lord would soon be revealed. And John claims that this that this one who was coming had authority over all of the religious leadership of the people of Israel. John the Baptist didn't need permission from anyone, even the religious elite, to do what he was doing. Well, who was this one who John was talking about? Let's meet him. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. Now Matthew reports that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. Mark says heaven was torn open. And he saw the Spirit descending uh, like a dove and alighting on Jesus. And God the Father spoke from heaven, saying, this is my Son, whom I love. 
with him I am well pleased. And when John saw this and when he heard all of this, he knew this was the person, this was the one, this was the one he had been preparing for. This Jesus of Nazareth was the one that God had promised to send and and was the fulfillment of his own mission and purpose in life. Jesus was God's chosen one, his one and only son. Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the prophet in the spirit of Moses and Elijah. He was the one who would reveal the glory of the Lord to his people and be Emmanuel, which means God with us. But after John was questioned by the religious leaders from Jerusalem, the next day when he saw Jesus, he says emphatically, look. Some of your translations say, behold. You see, a true encounter with Jesus is not a casual experience. Because if Jesus is who he claimed to be, if Jesus really was the fulfillment of hundreds and hundreds of years of promises of God and and he was the chosen one of God, then we must listen to him. He is either everything or he is nothing. So we must consider his claims and, and think about what he does. We can't just glance at him. It would be like walking through this art museum, this art gallery that we've been talking about, and just walking quickly through just to get to lunch. You'd miss everything. But John goes on to describe Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this a new description of Jesus. Last week we started, we saw, we saw that Jesus was the word of God made flesh, that Jesus was the light of the world, that Jesus did uh, promise so much for so many. And here we have a new description that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this speaks to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now in John's gospel, He uses the language of the hour, the hour of Jesus. And from here, from chapter one, running throughout his gospel account, John says that the hour of Jesus and his suffering and death on the cross was center in view. Just as John knew his mission as being one to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. So Jesus ultimately knew his purpose, his mission in life. And so he set his face toward the cross. Jesus wouldn't merely die. He would intentionally lay down his life as the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, made once and for all for the sins of the world. Now this refers to the whole system of animal sacrifice from the Old Testament law. What this is referring to is that that whole system was pointing forward and was fulfilled by the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God. 
So it was by John's baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and by his testimony about who Jesus was, the Lamb of God, who would fully atone or pay the price for the sins of the world, that John prepared the way for the coming of the Lord and the glory of the Lord God Almighty that would be revealed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now next week we'll see one of the results of John the Baptist's ministry is that some of his disciples left him to follow Jesus. Now we'll see the start of Jesus' ministry of preaching and signs and wonders and calling men and women to follow him as his disciples. In the start of Jesus' ministry, John recognizes that his own ministry, his purpose, his mission was starting to come to an end. But John is okay with it. John says, he must become greater and I must become less. Now what a man of humble faith. John was at the height of his popularity in his ministry. And when he was at the top, he gave everything over to Jesus. He saw his life and his ministry as a tool to not to give himself a greater platform or increase his brand, but only ever to point people to Jesus. May that be said of our lives as well. Before today, as I mentioned, all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, they all start with John the Baptist because John's ministry marks the historic start of the ministry of Jesus. But a question we ask almost every week is this, so what? What does this mean for us today? If you're a student of history, you might think these things are just kind of interesting to know more about. But truly, how might we apply this teaching, the word of God, to our lives today? Well, I'd like to apply John's ministry of preparation, of preparing people for the coming of the Lord to us today. Are we ready? Are we ready to see Jesus over this next year? Are we ready to, to find and experience the, the real life, the eternal life that Jesus offers to us today? You see, before we get to Jesus, we must be prepared to see him. So today I'm going to leave you with just three thoughts to prepare our hearts for what will come in John's gospel. First, we must understand that God promised that Jesus would come. God promised that Jesus would come. In, in many ways and throughout many generations, the Father promised through the prophets, including prophets like Moses and Elijah and Isaiah and all of the prophets, that he would send one who would finally deal with the problems, the ultimate problems of humanity, which are sin and death. Now, the religious leaders knew that they were supposed to be waiting for somebody or maybe for several people. They weren't exactly clear. And they thought that John might be the one, but John was only the one sent to prepare the way for the one. Did you know this? 
Did you know that God had promised that Jesus would come? Did you know that the whole Hebrew Bible, the whole Old Testament in our Bibles today, points to the coming of Jesus? You cannot read the Old Testament without Jesus. This wasn't an accident. This was the actual plan of God from before the creation of the world. God promised that Jesus would come. And if you aren't familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, as many people are, are not today, then you will need some help to catch up because the coming of Christ is really the middle of the story. So to properly behold Jesus, to properly see him, to properly understand who he is and what he has done and what he is doing today, we must see that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has been doing in history right up to this point. The gospel is God's story, not ours. Well, secondly, secondly, we must have a realistic view of our own sin and struggle. We must see and admit that we need help. We need to understand that we need a savior. We need a savior. We need Jesus. We cannot do this life on our own. And if you don't believe that, I would encourage you to just try life on your own for a while and see how it goes. Are you flourishing? Are you satisfied? Do you fully understand and are unshakable in your identity and purpose in life? Most people are not. There are higher rates today of loneliness and anxiety and depression uh, than ever before that we have measured. We are not made to be independent creatures. We were made to be totally dependent on God, our creator. We were made to have a relationship with God as our father, as his child. There's a reason that John's baptism was one of repentance. There's a reason that the baptism of repentance was one of the primary ways that John prepared the people of God for the coming of Jesus the Christ. Because repentance means a change in your mind and in your heart which results in a change in the direction of your life. More simply, repentance means to turn. Not just to turn from your way, but to turn to God's way. So to prepare for the coming of Jesus, to prepare to behold Jesus, we too need repentance because we need a savior. We need forgiveness. We need a new path in life. Third and finally, I believe we should do what John encourages us to do here. We must behold Jesus. We must really look at him and listen to him. We must carefully and thoughtfully consider his words and deeds and meditate on what all of that says and means about who he truly is. 
And the reason is because if Jesus is, again, who he claimed to be and accomplished all that he claimed that he would do, then it changes everything. But if we do this, if we look, if we behold and see Jesus, if we prepare ourselves, if we understand that that God promised that Jesus would come and we do in fact need a savior, if we, as it were, walk through this gallery that John has prepared for us, then we just might find this life to the full that God has created and is creating for us to live. Jesus just might change everything once again today. So, are you prepared? Are you ready to behold Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who saves and takes away the sin of the world? the one chosen to rescue and redeem and offer his very life for us and to us. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we need you to speak once again. You are the creator who speaks words of life And your creation responds, explodes forth in flourishing life, abundant life, fruitful life. So Father, as we prepare our hearts and as we prepare our minds to more truly and fully see who it is that you have sent, who is your one and only son, Father, I pray that you would speak words of life into our hearts and minds and lives. Make us new from the inside out. And Father, in the, all of the areas that we, we have gone astray, Lord, would you forgive us and help us to repent as an act of faith, turning from our way turning from the destructive patterns that we have fallen into, turning from the false beliefs that we have held on to. And Father, would you help us to turn and follow the way of your Son? Lord, would you help us do this by the power of your Spirit and for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.